Welcome back to the fifth down fantasy podcast brought to you by the 33rd team. Today, we are going to be answering five of the toughest questions in fantasy football so far this season. We want to discuss things like what will happen with Lamar Jackson, the 49ers QB situation, and the single best late round pick to make and more. Joining me, as always, is the man, the myth, the spreadsheet wizard, Ben Wolby. And today we wanted to start with potentially the biggest question in the NFL right now that could shake up the entire NFL landscape. It could shake up the AFC, potentially the NFC. And that is how we currently evaluate the Ravens in Lamar Jackson. Let's start with the Lamar Jackson topic, Ben. Do you think that Lamar Jackson is going to re-sign with Baltimore at this point? Or do you think that he's going to end up traded somewhere else and someone's going to have to give up some picks for him? I really can't believe this day has come. Um, but yeah, I, I feel that the bridge is burnt between Lamar and the Ravens. Uh, just last week, Lamar tweeted that he doesn't remember sitting out on his guys weeks 1 through 12. But how come all of a sudden, because he wants money, because he could have gotten hurt at any time, he's sitting out on his guys. He says that he knows that the Super Bowl has been on his mind since 2018. But Alex... I don't know about you. I remember in the playoffs when Tyler Huntley fumbled the ball on the one yard line and Sam Hubbard took it all the way back for a touchdown in a game that the Ravens probably would have won had Lamar played. I yeah. think he was healthy. I think he was quitting on his guys. I think that bridge is burnt. I don't think he's going to resign with Baltimore. What about you? I feel like we've seen this story too many times and it, in sports, like I, I would love to like just see Lamar Jackson suit up on on one of these crazy teams, like you know the Falcons or the Seahawks. But I think ultimately he's going to find a way to resign. I think it's going to be similar to the Aaron Rodgers situation last year, where it all but seemed like he was gone and he was going to be resigning somewhere else. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, Aaron Rodgers is signing a three-year deal back with the Packers. Of course, he's probably gone now. But the point being, at least for one last year. I think that Lamar is going to be a Baltimore Raven. But if he doesn't, where do you think the most likely place that he ends up? Is there a particular team you'd like to see him on or somewhere in particular you think that he's going to end up more than any other team? I was talking to Nick Botiford. If you guys don't follow him on Twitter, at Nick with a C, Botiford NFL. And he had pointed out to me that San Francisco is the perfect landing spot for Lamar. And I thought about it. And I am salivating about Lamar Jackson on the 49ers, a win-now team who Nick Bosa is on the last year of his deal. They just traded for CMC, who has an out on his contract. He is a $12 million cap hit over the next uh, each of the next three years. George Kittle, this is the first of three years with a $20 million cap hit. And then there are two years remaining for both Debo and Ayuk. I think that you have a two-year, maybe a one-year window for the 49ers to win a Super Bowl. And do you think that they're going to take this year for Trey Lance to be competitive? Do you think that they're going to wait for Purdy to be healthy? Do you think that they're going to roll with Sam Darnold? We're going to address this. This is another big question that Alex and I are going to talk about. But when I think about this team, think about them with Lamar Jackson, a team that has a ton of rushing success, a team who will have the best weapons Lamar has ever had, a truly elite running back. We know that Lamar can sustain a tight end. Just look at Mark Andrews. We'll talk about him in a little bit. And then let Baltimore worry about developing Trey Lance. Trade Trey Lance to Baltimore. That is the best case scenario for both of those teams in my mind. What about you, Alex? Anywhere specific? Oh, absolutely. I think the first place that I'd love them to see is on the Falcons. You know, wearing those black and red jerseys would be electric to begin with. But ultimately, I would love to see Lamar Jackson there because I think he instantly unlocks both Kyle Pitts and Drake London. 
I think that team is a QB away from being really, really good on the offensive side of the ball. I'm a big fan of Drake London and Kyle Pitts. I think that with Lamar Jackson there, that their potential would be absolutely unlimited. And I'd love to see Tyler Algier maybe get some more carries and do some great things in fantasy. The other place I'd love to see him, I know it's unlikely because they just re-signed a quarterback in Geno Smith, but I would love to see Lamar Jackson in Seattle where they trade somewhere like Geno Smith to Baltimore, where he just got his deal, but then they sign their real franchise QB and Lamar Jackson, who's younger than Geno Smith. He gets to work with both DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. I think that would be a great place for him. But I think the biggest thing that is getting a little bit overlooked is just how valuable that Lamar Jackson is. I mean, going back to like the last couple of years, like every single year of his career, he's been between fifth and 16th in EPA per play. He's been a very productive player, even as a passer. In terms of the fantasy football land, over the last four seasons, he's been the QB1, QB6, QB7, and QB5 as a finisher. And that 2019 season, he is the best quarterback season of all time in fantasy football. He had three more fantasy points per game in 2019 than Patrick Mahomes did this past year as the clear QB1. He's pretty much an automatic locked-in top five QB if he plays. But let's let's just play the game for a second that he is going to stay on the Ravens. This is not the Greg Roman offense of past where they're going to run the ball you know, 50 times a game. Now we have Todd Monken coming in. So, Ben, do you think that Todd Monken is going to help Lamar Jackson and his passing stats a little bit more and helping him be more efficient from a fantasy standpoint? Or do you think that he's going to hurt him more? I think that as a community, the fantasy football community, we are way too low on the Ravens right now with or without Lamar. But regardless of whether or not Lamar stays, Todd Monken, offensive coordinator, 2019 Browns, where Baker and Nick Chubb were both in their second season. Nick Chubb had nearly 1,500 yards that season, and that running success took the pressure off of Baker. That was Baker's best season from a numbers perspective as well. 2018, Monken, offensive coordinator of the Buccaneers, Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick set a team single season record in total yards, passing yards, and touchdown passes. Jameis Winston, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and uh, Baker Mayfield are not elite quarterbacks, and Todd Monken took them to elite levels in those seasons. Todd Monken was hired to take Lamar to the next level, and because of that, I think that if Lamar returns, this is going to be one of the most fun offenses in the entire NFL. But even if he doesn't, Tyler Huntley or whatever quarterback comes in, but Tyler Huntley went two and two last year as a starter. I think that this team is really great on the defensive side of the ball. I think that we're just too low on the Ravens offense without Lamar and with Lamar, they're going to be really fun. I think they're going to be productive from a fantasy perspective, at least at the quarterback position. I think that we agree that both it'll be helpful, you know, as they still have like one of the worst, you know, pass catching cores in the NFL in terms of receivers. But I think it'll be a big boost for Mark Andrews and Rashad Bateman from pass volume standpoint, having Todd Monken. But what about J.K. Dobbins? Because we have not seen a true, you know, Ravens running back be really productive since Mark Ingram a few years ago. But my problem with them is that. You know, there's been one running back with over 30 targets over the last four seasons since Lamar Jackson took over, and that was Devontae Freeman at 42, which is still less than three targets per game. A Ravens running back has hit 60% of the snaps in just 11 of their last 32 games, and J.K. Dobbins himself has hit 60% of the snaps in just two of his 26 career games. So, yes, while like with a productive offense and a good offensive line and Lamar Jackson there, with a lot of touchdowns, like you know, you'd see a big finish from J.K. Dobbins. I just don't think it's realistic because these Lamar Jackson teams just don't don't pass their running backs. Do you see something different with Todd Monken coming in for J.K. Dobbins? 
So I think that you say something really important, and that's what the offense looks like with Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson runs the football. Here's some, some J.K. Dobbins splits. J.K. Dobbins averaged nine rushes per game last year when Lamar Jackson was playing, but 15 rushes per game under Tyler Huntley. I think that J.K. Dobbins actually benefits the most if Lamar Jackson is not on this team. And even if he is, he's currently being drafted as the RB19 on underdog fantasy. And I think that that's too low. I think that uh, J.K. Dobbins does have a path to finishing as a top 12 running back this season. If we take a look at that 2019 Browns team we were talking about earlier under Todd Monken, Kareem Hunt had 36 receiving yards per game. And he had about a five-point floor in PPR formats. We also saw last year Kenny McIntosh, the running back from the Georgia Bulldogs, that's Todd Monken's team, um, have over 500 receiving yards last year, which is a ton for a running back. We also see that J.K. Dobbins fits the archetype that we like for running backs. He had nearly six yards per, per rush on his 92 rushes last season and 99th percentile 40-yard speed, according to player profiler. There are two numbers that really stick out for J.K. Dobbins for me last year. That's his 3.1 yards post-contact per rush. That ranks 15th among all running backs last year, higher than Jonathan Taylor, Austin Eckler, and Christian McCaffrey. And that number was even higher the year before, 3.5 in 2020. He is an elite rusher. But the problem is, is Lamar Jackson eats into those rushes. Like I had said earlier, nine rushes per game with Lamar, 15 with Tyler Huntley. He had double-digit routes per game this year when he was healthy, averaging 14 routes per game. That was the 26th most um, in 2020. And under Tyler Huntley, J.K. Dobbins in weeks 14 to 17 had 57 rush attempts and averaged seven yards per carry. There is a path for Dobbins to finish as a top 12 running back under Todd Monken's offense, but I think a lot of it depends on Lamar's status. I like him either way better than the RB19. Yeah, the big takeaway here that I'm with you is that J.K. Dobbins actually gets an upgrade with Tyler Huntley versus Lamar Jackson, contrary to popular belief. But let's move on to the 49ers. I've, we've seen the reports that you know Sam Darnold is probably going to be splitting first-team snaps with Trey Lance while Brock Purdy is recovering. I think we both agree that you know Sam Darnold has a real chance to start. And at the same time, like I think most people can agree that at – the QB position in fantasy that like Trey Lance still would have a high QB floor if he ends up being the quarterback. I think there's a real chance that it's still Trey Lance just because of like Zach Wilson syndrome where they drafted the guy top three. So they're going to give him a few more chances at quarterback. He really has four full starts in his career. And ultimately that really was just not enough of a sample size. And I think for that reason that Trey Lance could get some time, but the real question is Brock Purdy. I mean, Ben, like, do you think that Brock Purdy has done enough to win this job in out of the quarterbacks like Brock Purdy, Sam Darnold and Trey Lance? Which one of those guys do you think helps the 49ers weapons the most to be productive from a fantasy perspective? It's funny because you mentioned Trey Lance, who I think he has an elite quarterback floor, but like we have seen kind of with Lamar, not really that great at sustaining all of the assets around him because yeah. he's a mobile quarterback. So it's tough with Trey Lance because of the small sample size, but given that he does prefer to rush the ball, I kind of feel like from a fantasy perspective, I'd almost have Sam Darnold as the starting quarterback if I'm in a dynasty league and I have Ayuk or Debo or Kittle. The way that I would value this uh, quarterback room is Purdy, Darnold, Trey Lance from an asset perspective. Obviously, Trey Lance could be one of the best assets in fantasy football, but may not elevate those around him. 
And in my eyes, Brock Purdy has done enough to win the starting job. He led the NFL in passer rating among quarterbacks who played at least eight games last season. On a per-game basis, he saw 8.3 yards per attempt. That was the second highest just behind Tua. And only 0.3, or or rather, it was 0.3 yards ahead of Patrick Mahomes. And then once he became the starter in Week 14, Christian McCaffrey was the RB1 in points per game. Um, Kittle was the tight end one in points per game. And Brandon Ayuk was the wide receiver 16. I think that Purdy has proven his worth, not just as a starter, but as a guy who can elevate his fantasy assets around him. Do you have any thoughts on Brock Purdy, Alex? Yeah, I think that Brock Purdy probably is the best quarterback in terms of elevating the other fantasy weapons. Like uh, straight up and simply, I mean, everyone was very productive in that short stretch that he was the starting quarterback for this year. I would put Trey Lance over Sam Darnold purely for the fact that Sam Darnold has been a QB in the NFL for a long time and has never really set any offense on fire from a fantasy perspective. So yes, best weapons of his career, but I don't think that particularly changes now where someone like Trey Lance, the ability to change this offense to a superhuman level. So I'd rather take the risk on Trey Lance being the quarterback for this team and saying that he could really elevate this team. Like, you know, it's still been, you know, very heavy rushing quarterbacks that have productive wide receiver and tight end play like Jalen Hurts, for example, or your Kyler Murray's of the world. I'm not saying Trey Lance is any of those guys, but I think that like the Russian quarterbacks can still be productive from an offensive standpoint. So I would go Purdy first. I think he's the safest. I would go Lance second for the upside and I would have Darnold third just because he hasn't really done it with an offense before, but this is probably the offense, if any, that can do it. But let's talk about right now, if Brock Purdy ends up being the quarterback, which seems like in all likelihood, where should we be drafting these guys in your underdog drafts right now? You can sign up on underdog with using code 33rd for a hundred percent back on your first deposit up to a hundred dollars. And you can take players like, you know, George Kittle, for example, is the first person I want to start with. I mean, he's the tight end four right now in your underdog drafts. And I think that is honestly exactly where he should be going. He has been a lock for top five ever since his second season, every season that he's finished very healthily. But what do you think that Kittle's ceiling is? Do you think his ceiling is a lot higher that he could overtake you know, a tight end one finish with guys like Debo and Brandon Ayuk and Tristan McCaffrey in this offense? Or do you think that George Kittle doesn't have that same like top two ceiling that he once did, but he should be guaranteed to finish in the top five or six? Keep in mind that George Kittle missed the first four or the first two weeks last year and had a really slow start after that. But once he started clicking with Brock Purdy, he was incredible. Even if we just take a look at George Kittle last year, tight end two on a per game basis, and he only averaged half a point fewer than Travis Kelsey, despite that really slow start or rather after that slow start. So for me, I honestly think tight end four is low. That's his floor. His current ADP on underdog is 65. I don't think I would want to let him fall that low in my drafts, but I also feel like the best way to get a competitive edge in fantasy is by taking Travis Kelsey. And that's a a question we can talk about later. But for me, yeah, I think tight end four, that's his floor. And I would not mind drafting him higher than that. Yeah. What about the what about the idea of taking um like Debo Samuel versus Brandon Ayuk? So Debo Samuel right now is going as the wide receiver sixteen in drafts, and Brandon Ayuk is going as the wide receiver thirty three in drafts. I think that Ayuk should be one hundred percent the pick between the two because for one, yeah. you know Brandon Ayuk went from the thirty seventh and thirty ninth percentile in beating man coverage the previous two years to the eighty eighth percentile this past year. Brandon Ayuk was also the wide receiver not nineteen in fantasy points per game where 
there. I think that Debo's improves a little bit with Brock Purdy, but I still think his ADP is way too high for me just because I don't think the yeah. pie is not, but the pie is too big. And I think that like, I just can't think of another team right now that there's a player that finishes in the top 20 with another top 20 wide receiver in Ayuk, a top three tight end in Kittle, and a top three running back in Christian McCaffrey. I just think there's a little bit too much to go around for Debo Samuel to produce or get above that wide receiver 16 value, where I'd rather just take the, the cheaper receiver right now and Brandon Ayuk at wide receiver 33 and hope that he can you know, have an easier time getting above his value. How do you shake out this wide receiver situation? You're totally right. When we take a look at Debo Samuel and his wide receiver 16, that is way too high. Aside from his 2021 season, his highest finish is only the wide receiver 33. That was in 2019. And in 2021, his wide receiver one season, 30% of his fantasy production came on the ground. Christian McCaffrey is not going to let that happen. This team does not go out and pay what they paid for Christian McCaffrey, $20 million cap hit. He is the RB1 for all intents and purposes in fantasy football. There's no way that Debo is going to get the volume as a rusher he got. There's no way that he is going to produce those 2021 numbers. So taking Brandon Ayuk as wide receiver 33, there's a real shot he finishes with a higher spot or, or a better value than Debo. So I'm taking Ayuk in every draft over Debo Samuel where I can. What do you think that Debo Samuel's ceiling is right now at this point? Like if everything goes perfectly, like he probably won't see the same rushes that he did like a couple of years ago, but you know, he got more targets than anyone else in Brock Purdy's healthy games. So like, what do you think that Debo Samuel's ceiling at this point ultimately is? Oh, probably a mid wide receiver too, but that's yep. like, a, that's a ceiling projection where Ayuk is just nowhere to be found. And Brandon Ayuk, like the fantasy football community was infatuated with him last year. He had 63 yards per game at the end of the season with Brock Purdy, wide receiver 16. Do you think that Debo could outperform and go back to wide receiver one status? I don't think so. I don't, I just don't see it at all. Like, I think that, like if he does outperform, I don't see him being a wide receiver one, but I think it would take a miracle for him to finish like wide receiver 13 or 14 when he's already going yeah. at 16. I think he's going at the ceiling. There's so many other weapons in this offense, and I think there's just too many red flags to even Debo at that point. But what about Christian McCaffrey? And, and keep this discussion very brief because he was a major topic last year. He played every single game this past season. And he probably seems like arguably the safest running back in all of fantasy football. Would you, is he your running back one fantasy football or would you take someone like Austin Eckler or maybe another running back over him? Like who would be your first pick at running back if anybody? Even if Trey Lance is the starting quarterback for the 49ers, Christian McCaffrey is an RB1. When we talk about uh, Justin Fields in 2022 or Lamar Jackson in 2019, um, they still had elite running backs with them. I think Mark Ingram finished as the RB8 under Lamar. Justin Fields had uh, Montgomery last year and Khalil Herbert, who were both solid running back twos. So, yeah, CMC is very safe and still an RB1 uh, territory. I completely agree. He's shown to be arguably like the greatest fantasy football running back of all time when he is on the field. So I think that he should be the number one running back. I think with this offense, they're going to score a ton of points. Touchdowns won't be a problem. They're still throwing to him a ton out of the backfield. And, you know, Elijah Mitch is a nice compliment and probably one of the best handcuffs in fantasy football, but he's not going to take enough work away from CMC. And as we saw when he was in a 49ers uniform, he was nothing but phenomenal last year. But what about in general? Like when we talk about the number one overall, rather than number one running back, like who would be your pick right now in underdog drafts, at least for playing best ball, 
as the 1.01 number one player that you should be taking in drafts? I'm only saying this because I think that I'm right. I don't think I would actually do this, but Travis Kelsey is the fantasy football what Tom Brady is to regular football. If you take a look at any of your fantasy football leagues, and I'm going to do this later in the offseason, I'm going to take a look at some data, and I'm going to confirm that Travis Kelsey is probably on about 75% of playoff teams across fantasy football. Like, he is three things. He is consistent, he scores a lot of points, and he has a lot of value. From the consistency perspective, the last time he wasn't a tight end one or tight end, the tight end one or tight end two is 2015. Uh, and as long as he's tied to Pat Mahomes, I don't see a world where that doesn't happen. Uh, and Alex, if I were a really generous commissioner and I said to you, uh, you know, Alex, I think that it's unfair that I have Travis Kelsey. So I'm going to let you have two tight ends and you draft Cole Komet and Pat Fryermuth. You'd probably be really happy about that. Guess what? those players still scored fewer points on a per-game basis than Travis Kelsey. You can start two tight ends, and it could still not equal one Travis Kelsey. Even Dallas Goddard and Dawson Knox, that duo still scored 40 points fewer than Travis Kelsey did last year. This dude is easily the best value in fantasy football. You have an advantage all of all of your uh, league mates. You're basically starting an extra tight end every single week, and it's a crapshoot position. Why not get the best player in fantasy football? I think I'd be taking Travis Kelsey as a top three or top four, maybe even the 1.01 right now in best ball. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I think it looked last year, this was a topic that was talked about and everyone just thought it was like a funny thing. Travis Kelsey's going to fall off. Like he's not going to be that same guy anymore. And little did we know, if you probably took him first overall in your best ball drafts, you, like you said, probably would have made the playoffs and done pretty well. I don't think the strategy should change so far. Like, even if the Chiefs add somebody else in the draft, I don't see anyone that's probably going to – they're going to draft that's going to outproduce at least what Juju did last year. Not that it was yeah. that special, but as a rookie wide receiver, I don't see more production coming into this offense unless they make a crazy trade for someone at this point. So I think that Travis Kelsey, although another year older, should probably be valued like above what people are even looking at at this point. I love the take on the 1.01. For me, it's Justin Jefferson. He's safer. He has even more upside, and he was the highest scoring player in fantasy football last year. And when I say upside, I think that Justin Jefferson could continue to somehow find a way to increase his numbers. I mean, if you take his receiving yards per game, he's gone up from 87 to 95 to 106. His receptions went from 88 to 108 and 128. And last year, increases targets every year all the way up to 184 targets. And I think there's room for more. You know, Adam Thielen is gone. It seems like there's a real chance that Dalvin Cook gets hut, gets cut. And at that point, it just leaves TJ Hawkinson, who had a nice stretch of getting a lot of targets per game. Historically, has not seen a crazy target share. And KJ Osborne. I mean, Justin Jefferson in three years of his career has just one less 100-yard game than Tyreek Hill does in his entire career. Only Tyreek Hill had a higher yards per route run last year. And He's been in the top 10% in beating man coverage, zone coverage, press coverage. Justin Jefferson has no weaknesses, and he's still only going into his fourth year with even more upside. I'm so excited about him, but if there's anyone I'm excited about in the entire NFL draft this year, it's probably Bijan Robinson. I think he's the player that is the consensus 1.01 in your dynasty rookie drafts at this point. Everyone's excited about Bijan, but... Like he might be the most talented running back prospect coming out of the last five years. So Ben, I'll kick this sure. to you first. Is there any landing spot in particular from a purely fantasy perspective that would make you at least consider taking Bijan Robinson? 
first overall in your drafts if you landed on a certain team in a crazy scenario? I typically don't like taking rookies in the first yep. round, period. Um, and we'll talk about where we would consider taking him in the first round, if we would consider taking him in the first round. But if there was a world where Bijan landed on the Chargers and they traded away Austin Eckler, I think you're talking about 1.01 territory because we saw Austin Eckler at 27 years old be the running back one in fantasy football last year. And we haven't had a top three running back uh, who was 28 or older since 2016. It was Adrian Peterson. Take a look at Austin oh. Eckler's usage. I do think that he's not built like your typical running back because he doesn't run a ton. He does have a lot of upside from catching the ball. And B. John, he's not exactly a pass catcher, 19 receptions last year, but he still posted a 77th percentile target share per play at player profiler. He's still an elite prospect on the ground with incredible vision. Mm -hmm. I think that if he landed in Los Angeles on the chargers, you could consider taking him first overall. Yeah. I think the team for me that I would take him maybe not first overall, but I would highly actually like legitimately consider taking him as a top five running back would be to the Kansas city chiefs. I mean, yeah. although that the chiefs running backs have not been the most productive Andy Reid still has had a top eight running back on his team in 13 of the last 19 seasons since 2004. I mean, that's like over a 66% chance that Andy Reid ends up with a literal like top eight running back on their team. And I think with mm -hmm. what this offense is with, with Patrick Mahomes and like just how everything works, I think they could be really productive. I mean, they made Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon look like all-stars. Yeah. The only players they have under contract right now are Isaiah Pacheco, who is still a seventh-round rookie, although impressive. I'm rooting for him, but like yeah. I think Bijan would quickly overtake him. They didn't re-sign Jarek McKinnon, and the only other running back on their roster right now is CEH, who the Chiefs seem to not care about whatsoever at this point. So I think that if Bijan ended up on this offense with his pass-catching ability – and they don't sign someone like Bijan, uh, Jarek McKinnon back, I think that all signs point up. But another thing I'd also like to see him on, I wouldn't take him top five, but I think as far as like real-life landing spot, I'd love to see him on the Eagles. I'd love to see Rashad Penny work and, and get a lot of carries this year, but I just don't think he's going to stay healthy, or it's unlikely to as much as I would love to see it and be optimistic. But I think that Eagles team would be such a great fit. Would Miles Sanders finish top 15 last year while never seeing – four targets in a game or more than three catches in a game at all. Like he just didn't produce much from the passing game and still was an elite fantasy player just off of being a great rusher. I think Bijan's better in every aspect of that, but is there any other team Ben that you'd love to see Bijan on? I want to keep talking about him being on the Eagles. I think that is where yeah. I said earlier, I don't really typically take running backs in the first round, but I think that if he ended up on the Eagles, it would be similar to when Najee was drafted by the Steelers where okay. he, we knew he was going to be a workhorse. The only running backs on the Eagles roster right now, we've got Rashad Penny who was signed in free agency, Kenneth Gainwell, Boston Scott, and Trey Sermon. And I think the Penny edition is solid, but Penny's biggest question mark is his availability. He cannot stay on the field. So I think what we'll see from Bijan Robinson is he's going to fill that Miles Sanders role, who has been nothing but an incredible RB2 over the last three seasons. I think he's finished as an RB2 every single year. And last year, Miles Sanders finished with the uh, fifth most rushing yards per game, 75 yards per game. But Bijan is a more talented rusher, elite vision, acceleration he's built like a workhorse the problem becomes being on Jalen Hurts's offense 
where Jalen Hurts was second in the NFL in rushing touchdowns scored per game. That's going to eat away at whoever the running back is in Philadelphia, but especially if it's Bijan. I think that his usage and his skill set are a perfect fit for Philadelphia, but Jalen Hurts does cap his upside. It's still always a good idea to draft players in good offenses. That's what Bijan would be a good player on a good offense. I would really love him in Philadelphia. Yeah, I would too. I would absolutely love to see him. But we each have two more players that we love. They're going outside the top 120 picks in drafts right now. We each have a late round player that we want to talk about before the end of the show. Before we get into that, don't forget to follow at Ben Wolby on Twitter. If you like what you're hearing from the spreadsheet wizard himself, you can find me at Alex Caruso as always in the Twitter machine or really any other platform. Don't forget to follow the at 33rd team FB for the some of the best NFL coverage on the planet, but we each have one player to talk about, Ben. We're going to start with you. Who is a player outside the top 120 on underdog fantasy right now that you think could be one of the best values come the end of the 2023 season? Who is that player for you? If you're drafting right now, Antonio Gibson is in the, I can't believe I'm talking about Antonio Gibson. Um, you can get him in the 11th round. And I know that he gets a lot of hate, rightfully so. I think that he is overhyped. But when he's in the 11th round, take a flyer on him. Yes, I know that Brian Robinson took over as the starter last season. But Gibson still finished with 0.5 more points per game than Brian Robinson. And this year, we're going to see something totally different from Antonio Gibson. Because J.D. McKissick is no longer on this team. Let's go. And Antonio Gibson, yeah, let's go, is going to fill that J.D. McKissick role. And if you've owned Antonio Gibson over the past three years, you know how awful it has been seeing J.D. McKissick on the field because he gets all of those high-value touches. But guess what? Those are all going to be Antonio Gibson's now. He ran the 16th most routes from week uh, 9 to 16 after J.D. McKissick was taken out for the season. He was also a wide receiver in college. Can't talk about Antonio Gibson without saying that. But Robinson um, averaged fewer than seven routes per game last year, fewer than one reception per game. He is not going to be a receiving threat on this offense at all. Gibson had 16 routes per game, three receptions per game, and when both of those players were healthy, they saw the same amount of red zone work. They saw the same amount of touchdowns. This is a contract year for Antonio Gibson. I doubt he re-signs with this team. Good chance they try and work him as hard as they can. But when you look at Antonio Gibson, the only thing that I think you really need to look at is that seven of his games last year, of his 15 games, he had double-digit fantasy points. If you're drafting him in best ball, he has a ton of upside. He has a ton of appeal. And with the other running backs that are going this late, you've got your Dante Foremans, your Kenneth Gainwells, your Samaje Pirines, who I almost considered making this segment about Samaj P. Ryan, but I think that the upside is undeniable in the 11th round. I am going to be taking Antonio Gibson that late. Personally, I don't know how you feel, Alex, but I know the guy that you are going to talk about is somebody I love as well. So who is the guy that you are looking to take outside of 120 on underdog fantasy? Yeah, for me, it's it's got to be Nico Collins. I mean, starting with like the fact that how much the t- Texans love him in the end zone. Last year, there were nine players that ho- had over a 40% end zone target share. 
-hmm. and all other eight players have a top 20 finish in fantasy football at some point in their career. Nico Collins, the only one that has not done that yet. He also increased his targets per route run massively last year. He had a 16% targets per route run in his rookie year. Last year, he bumped it up to seeing a target on 23% of the routes that he ran. He also, so far in his career, has been a lot better without Brandon Cooks in the lineup versus with Brandon Cooks, and Brandon Cooks is gone. With Brandon Cooks, he was seeing a target on just 18% of his routes. Bump that up to all the way to 25% of his routes without Brandon Cooks. He also bumped up his target share from year one to year two from 13% all the way to 20%. And last year in half PPR, he was the wide receiver 52 in points per game and is going as the wide receiver 74 currently without Brandon Cooks there. I mean, the only other wide receivers on this team right now are Robert Woods, Noah Brown, John Mechie, and Dalton Schultz. And also this Texans team is probably going to be drafting either C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young in fantasy football drafts. So it makes no sense that Nico Collins made improvements off the board. They got rid of the one guy in front of him, and they're about to add a much better quarterback in the draft with possibly less target competition on their team. And he's still going over 20 spots below where he had in points per game last year. It just makes no sense for me. I am all in. We are both all in on Nico Collins this year. We think that he is a phenomenal value. And we hope that you guys enjoyed this phenomenal episode of the Fifth Down Fantasy Podcast. Don't forget to tune in next week at 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Tuesday for the third episode of the Fifth Down Fantasy Podcast. But until next time, don't forget to follow at Ben Wolby and at Alex Caruso on Twitter. And don't forget to keep chasing that upside. Until next time, everybody.